You're about to hear a message that was preached at Calvary Fellowship in Miramar, Florida. At Calvary, we exist to help people take their next step with God. And we pray that this message helps you do just that. How's everybody doing? Hey, we are glad that you are here. This is a good, this is a good place to be. And I'm glad that you're here with us. And so, boy, where do we begin? All right. So one day during quarantine, like at the beginning of quarantine, when every time you went out, you thought you were risking your life to go to the mailbox or whatever. And, uh, but I went to Publix. In the beginning of quarantine, my wife had asked me to pick up something at the pharmacy for her. And so I got in the car, and then I called a friend of mine to catch up a little bit. And then I drove to Publix and, and uh, get to the pharmacy, and they're like, well, it's going to be a few minutes. So I just said, well, I'll just walk around and maybe pick up a couple of things. And uh, my kids, by the way, love it when I go shopping because I buy everything that we like. I have been told that I have the refined palate of a seven-year-old. And so I just buy, you know, I mean, I just start buying like ice, you know, ice cream and chips and all the sugar cereals. Because my wife, she doesn't buy, she buys like fruit and disgusting things like yogurt. Like yogurt is gross. And if you'd like yogurt, you've never really tasted it. You've, or you haven't tasted other things. Because anyway, so, um, and then instead of buying good cereal, and there's, I could rattle off a few cereals that we would all agree on, like greatest cereal of all time, Cinnamon Toast Crunch. That's, now the guy's preaching. It's like, oh, this guy's preaching the gospel today. Uh, so anyway, so it's like, listen, if it's like Cinnamon Toast Crunch, Apple Jacks, uh, Frosted Flakes, that's my wheelhouse. My wife shows up with something called Kashi Good Friends. And my daughter, when she was younger, my, uh, Mia came, uh, Carrie came home with Kashi Good Friends. And I remember Mia tried it. She was like, maybe you'll like it more than Cinnamon Toast Crunch. It's like, first of all, as if. And, uh, and then Mia was so disappointed. And she's like, Mom, they're not good friends if they don't taste good. And so that's been kind of the understanding I was just that. So anyway, uh, so I'm putting a bunch of stuff that I know is not really authorized. but And I may have put three different types of powdered donuts, but it was for science. I was really trying to determine what the best mini powdered donut was. By the way, Hostess was the clear winner of that in a three-way competition between Hostess, Entenmann's, and the elusive Bluebird, which was surprisingly good. Anyway, so I get to the cashier and I found out, turns out I had spent over $100 in 10 minutes. Um, I put everything into the car bring it home. Because I am a man, um, I took everything in one trip, lost all circulation to my hands, brought everything into the house, put everything onto the counter, and, and because I am a, uh, I am a, I try to be a good husband, I'm now putting everything away. Also, I don't want my wife to see everything that I bought, and I, if it gets all put away. Anyway, so she's like, hey, where did you put the vitamins in? And I'm like, excuse me? She's like, you know, the, what I told you to go get at Publix. And I grabbed my keys and I'm like, hey, I'm going to be right back. And she's like, where are you going? And I'm like, I just got to go do a thing. And she's like, you forgot the vitamins. The one thing, you were there for one reason. And how is it that you bought four boxes of cereal 
but you forgot the one thing. And I'm like, you know what, Care? Number one, that cereal was BOGO. And I cannot resist BOGO. Can't resist it. Every time I buy something that I was planning on buying anyway, and it's BOGO, I'll ask my kids, I'll be like, look, we are sticking it to the man today. Anyway, so that's number one. And then I said, number two, I don't really know what happened. And uh, so anyway, I go back and have to get, I don't know if you've ever had a moment like that where you kind of, you start out on a mission. I got to go do this thing. And then you get totally distracted. You lose your focus and you miss the entire point of what you set out to do. Now, listen, this can happen to anybody at any time. All of us can drift and truth be told, it probably happens more than we realize. But we get caught up in other things. We get distracted even from the things that matter most. And that, I think, is the part that's so hard for us to even imagine is that, no, 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 I don't want to lose focus of the things that matter most, but we can. This can happen with people that we love, things that we feel deeply about or called to do. It's the danger of drifting. And the problem is, is that no one just starts going in one direction and just makes like this hard turn and then start, starts going in a different direction. No, no instead, you just, you just kind of start veering off course a little bit. So let me ask you, this is a safe place, right? So let me just ask this, and I'll raise my hand first. If, uh, and if you feel comfortable, um, you, can, you can answer. But has anybody here ever gained weight? <laughs> all right. If you look at the people that aren't lifting their hands, those are all the liars. Um, but anyway, so pray for them. But anyway, but if, you, um, but if you have ever gained weight in your life, something happened. And it was, now let me, you, you, you were, maybe you were on an eating plan, you had lost a few pounds or a lot of pounds, whatever it is, things are going well. But you didn't go, uh, one day, you didn't go from like bananas to Twinkies. You didn't make that radical shift all like in one meal. Instead, it's this slow progression. You maybe stop exercising. Then you go out for dinner and you have a bad meal. And then it's, and then you're like, you know what, I had a bad meal for lunch. I mean, seriously, we'll just start tomorrow right? And that's what you do. And then you go to a birthday party and you have, you know, one piece of cake. And I mean, it's a small piece of cake and it's okay. And if you're Cuban, there is this uh, fallacy that all Cubans believe that is referred to as un dia. Uh, this is one day, un dia, but un dia. You know, it's like, it's just one day. The problem is un dia strings together into a lifetime. And, and that's, that's the problem. And so anyway, but that's what you do. And then as you're, as you're doing that, then maybe you go, you swing by Publix and you pick up a birthday cake, not because it's anybody's birthday. One of your kids learned to tie their shoes and you're like, we should celebrate important moments in our family. And, uh, and then you eat half the cake, not because you tried to eat half the cake, because when everybody went to sleep, you woke up and then you tried to take off that container to the cake, which by the way, if every alarm system in America was as loud as that cake receptacle, there would be no crime because everything would, anyway, and you open it up, and once again, you're not trying to eat the whole cake. All you're trying to do is have a bite. But once you have a bite, you know what has to happen. You've got to now, with surgical precision, start to kind of like even that out because you can't just take a hunk out of it. You've got to even it out so no one knows that you were there. And so, but you don't want a slice. You just want a bite, but you're going to have another bite to kind of even out the slice. Anyway, now that's not about me. Um, that's about this guy I know. Pray for him. He's all messed up. And, um, but now, once again, I, I, I bring this whole thing up, and this is why I think it's so important, is because we started out on this, this adventure last week where 
in, in the book of Hebrews, I'm sorry, I, I never talk about this, but I have to put my, my stuff on Do Not Disturb because then I start getting blown up in text at 10 o'clock in the morning. It's like, don't you know I'm at church? Anyway, apparently not. So I've got to unfriend these people. So um, shun right now. They've been shunned. Anyway, and that's in reference to the office that most of you don't get. Anyway, so, uh, but we started this, uh, by the way, we'll be using the 1130 on the podcast, so who knows what's going to happen here. Uh, so now that I've kind of blown the whole thing, who knows what's going to go down in this service. Uh, but we started, we started a series last week in the book of Hebrews, and once again, what I, if you were here last week, I told you this, that I waited 20 years to teach Hebrews because it is a, a very complex book in the New Testament. And uh, because of that, and one of the reasons why it is, it is a complex book is because it was written to a group of Jewish Christians living in Rome, going through a very difficult time. And the question that, that is being answered by the writer throughout this book, the question that these, this group of Christians who are undergoing persecution and all that, here's the question that they're asking, if God loves me, why is life so hard? You see, life was hard for them because their Jewish families had disowned them. Some of, the, some of these Jewish families had even conducted funeral services for their uh, family members who had become Christians. Others were experiencing uh, persecution of a different kind, but because of their faith. And what the writer of Hebrews does is he writes them this very eloquent, very theologically dense letter as an encouragement to them who are experiencing difficulty. And in, once again, several ways throughout this book, he tells them that the answer to life being difficult is to fix your eyes on Jesus. Why? Because as we're going to learn, nothing else in this world will satisfy. And when you fixate on Jesus, it will keep you from drifting. And here's the challenge that all of us face, right? Is that if we aren't careful, we can start out as very passionate and committed. And then if we lack intentionality, we can start drifting away and find ourselves in kind of a bad place and start making bad choices that we never thought we would make and doing things that we never thought we would do. And so what the writer of Hebrews is going to do in the passage that we're going to look at in chapter 2 is that uh, he's going to show us three ways that we need as, as we consider who Jesus is, that we need three ways that we need to fixate so that we stay faithful and not drift. And here's the cool thing is that we're going to talk about this once again in relationship to your walk with God, but this is absolutely true in any area of your life. It's absolutely true when it comes to your marriage. It's absolutely true when it comes to your career. It's absolutely true when it comes to your kids. It's absolutely true when it comes to uh, your friendships or whatever it is that's most important. So we're going to start in Hebrews chapter 2 in verse 1, and here's what we read. It says, Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the words spoken through angels prove steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed by those who heard him, God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. And if you pause there and give me your attention, there's three things I said that I want to show you. The first is this, and that is, I will not drift if I keep my focus. I will not drift if I keep my focus. Now, here's one of the things you have to know. Uh, the book of Hebrews, if we can kind of start at a 35,000-foot level, the book of Hebrews contains six warnings. This is warning number one. 
And so we're going to, as we go through the book, I'll, I'll note the, the warnings that they are. But one of, uh, this is warning number one, and the danger is of drifting, that we've got to give the more earnest heed to the things that we've heard, lest we drift away. Now, one of the ancient symbols for the church, uh, one of the mo- more ancient symbols, and there were many symbols that were used, but one of the more ancient symbols was the idea of a ship. And the idea came from Matthew chapter 8, where Jesus and disciples are in the boat during the storm. Jesus calms the storm, and the, and the metaphor is, is that you're way better off in the boat. And so, and, and the metaphor works really well. And the writer brings up this imagery of drifting as opposed to staying on course. Later on in Hebrews, he'll talk about Jesus as the anchor of our souls. And so he brings it up here to talk about just like a ship that isn't on course or a ship that isn't anchored, that ha- this ship has the opportunity. People have the opportunity, if they aren't, to drift away from their faith. Uh, C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity, and if you've been at Calvary for any length of time, I don't know if there's a book that's been quoted more in 20 years here uh, than Mere Christianity. So that is um, an endorsement, so you should go out and read it. But in in Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis writes this. He says, uh, if I examined 100 people who had lost their faith in Christianity, I wonder how many of them would turn out to have been reasoned out of it by honest argument. And here's what he says, do not most people simply drift away. And in my experience, I have, that has turned out to be the case, that people just uh, drift away. And, and I run into people who attend Calvary or used to attend Calvary or are somewhere in between, and they are not really sure where they are, but um, have some connection to Calvary pretty much um, wherever I go around town. And so, and, and what happens is when someone hasn't been, I can always tell without even talking to someone, if someone hasn't been to Calvary in a while. And that's because they, for the first thing they try to do is avoid me. And some people have gone through great extremes to avoid me. I had someone almost jump into the freezer cabinet at Publix to avoid me. And so it is a weird thing when you open that up and you're like, hey, can you hand me that quart of ice cream behind you? Oh, thanks. Hey, by the way, how, how come you haven't been in church? And, uh, but you know what's funny? And I'm, uh, anyway, but here's the weird part. You know what I'm still waiting for? Like, I've never had this. You know, we were going to Calvary, but we started going somewhere else, and now I'm serving and I'm a leader at another church. I'm still waiting for that one. Uh, that's not usually what happens. What happens is this, is the most common answer. I'm like, hey, I'm like, what, where, how you been? What happened to you? And, and here's the most common answer. I don't know. What, where, what happened? I don't know. And, and it usually starts like this. I mean, and once again, it takes a minute for like the honesty to come out, but it's like, I don't know. I, I just, we started missing services and then we just stopped trying. And I don't know what happened. And then we got busy and you know, that all that. And, and, you know, now listen, my goal isn't to beat people up about this because the reality is, is that it's not that you just decided, you know what, I just hate church altogether. No, it's just, you just started drifting. You, start, you, you started drifting and you didn't realize it uh, while it was happening. And now you're like way off course. And you had no idea uh, what, what, what was going to take place. And once again, um, and, and we do this, right? I, I say this as a joke all the time, but it's like when it comes to like health and fitness, right? You go to the gym for the first time and I mean, you're so fired up. You feel so good. You're like, this. I feel great. 
I'm going to do this every day. And then the second day you wake up and you're like, you know what? I got to let my muscles breathe. You know, you got to like rest them. And then the third day you wake up and you're like, you know what? Um, I'm fine with the way I look. And, and, and that's, but listen, and, and once again, spiritual drifting is exactly the same. Where we lose focus and then we just kind of stop caring. And, and that's why, listen, the greatest danger to your faith isn't your atheist friend who thinks he's an expert because he's watched three YouTube videos. All right? The greatest danger to your faith is an apathetic version of yourself. And that's why the writer of Hebrews says, here's what the remedy is. Give a more earnest heed, which is a New King James way of saying, you got to really pay attention to what's been taught. And listen, as long as you keep your focus and you are applying what you hear taught, and you are applying what you read in your personal devotions, you won't drift away. But the moment we start making excuses, we're in danger. And that's why the writer presses the point, right? And he says, if what God spoke through angels, which is the Old Testament, proved true, and God punished and rewarded people, how much more do we need to pay attention to what God has spoken through his son? You see, in the book of Proverbs, and I want you to notice this, in Proverbs chapter 4, all this wisdom, right? Solomon, the, the, most, the wisest man to ever live up until that point. He's, he's writing and he's, he's sharing this wisdom with his son and, of course, with all of us by proxy. And, and I want you to notice what he says. It's not just hearing all this wisdom. Look at what he says in Proverbs 4. But he says this, my son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Keep your mouth free from perversity. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought to the paths, for your feet can be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Keep your foot from evil. Have you noticed? Listen, here's the point. This is all intentional talk. Everything that's happened, these are all verbs, right? This isn't, uh, this, this is all about like, if you want life to go well for you, you cannot be passive. You have to be intentional about the things that matter most. You cannot take, as, as, as Solomon is saying, you just can't take these words under advisement. You've got to hold on to them for dear life. And cling to them as they are the only thing that is, that's the only thing stopping you from totally messing up your life. You see, and that's why we have to give them more earnest heed. We've got to pay careful attention. And if we're honest, when we look back on our lives and every mistake, everything that we regret, every dumb thing that we've done, listen, has always come down to the moments when we haven't given the more earnest heed, when we haven't really paid attention, when we have lost our focus. Well, we covered from verses 5 to 9 last week because it was all part of that angel conversation. So I want to pick it up in verse 10 because he continues with this same theme. And he says this in verse 10, in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy, are of the same family. 
Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters in the assembly. I will sing your praises and I will put my trust in him. Again, he says, here I am and the children God has given me. And if you pause there and uh, give, give me your attention, here's the second thing that I want you to note. And that is this, is that I will not drift if I follow his lead. I will not drift if I follow his lead. Now, there is a fascinating word here in this passage. It's only used a few times in uh, the New Testament. It's that word pioneer, uh, which, by the way, I was reading that passage out of the New, New International Version. I typically read out of the New King James, but the way the New King James translate it, translates it is needlessly complicated. So um, the New International doesn't look that. That's just like a little programming note. So I don't know if that even matters to you, but um, it should. But anyway, so... But it, uh, in the New King James, it's translated captain. Uh, in the in New International, it's translated pioneer. And, but the Greek word is this word, archagos. And it's, it's translated in three different ways in the New Testament. These are translated as the author. It's translated as captain, or it's translated as pioneer. And the idea is, is that this is the person who's going where you want to go, but we're afraid to go on your own. Right? That's what pioneers do. They go and they create a way where we didn't realize there was one. The author is the one who takes us on a journey that we didn't even know existed. The captain is the one who leads us to a place that we wanted to go, but we weren't sure how to get there. So I'll tell you what happened to me last Sunday. So now I know this is kind of a weird thing to say, but I typically drink four shots of espresso a day. Now you might wonder, how does Pastor Bob say so peppy and upbeat? Uh, some of that is my outlook on life. The other part of that is the insane amounts of espresso that I drink throughout the day. But I have a limit. Four is as much as I can do. The problem is last Sunday, I lost count. And so I had two in the morning, and then some kind person in the cafe was like, hey, you want a couple shots of espresso? And I'm not in the business of saying no to espresso. So I'm like, yeah, that's so nice of you. So they gave me two shots of espresso and I drank it. And then I got home from church at like 3.30 and my wife was like, hey, you usually have coffee around three o'clock. You want espresso? And once again, I'm not usually in the business of saying no. So I'm like, I would love some. So six shots of espresso. Now this just sets everything off for me. So um, at midnight, I was wide awake. And uh, so I took some melatonin. Nothing. So at 1.30, I had to break out the big guns, and I just like chugged some Benadryl. And uh, thank, so it, besides the fact, I, I didn't have any allergies before, but it was not going to have any bother me. So I was, within 10 minutes, I was knocked out. And uh, the problem is, I had to wake up just a few hours later. So I come into the office in the morning, and I mean, I am not doing well. I'm groggy. And I kind of have like this, you ever have where, you know, you take something to fall asleep and you're kind of like in a fog. So I've got all of that. So on Monday night, I'm like, I am determined to get a good night's sleep. So it's like, you know, 1030, I take a, like these two little melatonin things. By 1130, I am out sleeping great until 130 in the morning. And I wake up and my wife is standing over me. And, uh, and, 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 and I'm, I, I don't know if you've ever had that. I usually have that where my kids wake me up, but it's usually like I'm laying down and they're kind of at eye level, you know? Uh, but the, now it's like, you know, my wife was, she had woken me up, which I didn't realize. And, uh, and so, and she says, um, 
And I'm like, are you, uh, so I wake up and I see, I'm like, are you okay? And she says, and by the way, this is like the most mom answer in the world. I say, are you okay? And she's like, well, I woke up and I decided to do a sweep of the house. So my wife, whenever she wakes up, she checks on the kids to, I don't know, make sure like an alien abduction hasn't happened. Um, and she's like, and I was doing a sweep, checking on the kids, and there are two mice in Xander's room. Now I'm wide awake. <laughs> and it, was, it was like those two mice were like two shots of espresso at 1.30 in the morning. And so I get up. And, uh, and, and we walk over to Xander's room, and so she's got her, her phone with the light on. And uh, now Xander, thankfully, was not sleeping in his room because uh, on Sunday night, we had watched a couple episodes of Doctor Who in the family room, and the kids wanted to, uh, at least the two younger two were like, hey, can we just sleep on the couch? And I want, let me tell you a little something about my parenting. I don't care where you sleep, as long as it's not with me. So you want to sleep in the kitchen, you want to sleep wherever. I don't care. As long as it ain't with me, we're good. So they're like, hey, can we sleep on the couch? And I'm like, don't care. So anyway, um, so we get to the door and thankfully Xander's not in there, but she says, look, there are two mice on the top of Xander's windowsill. And, uh, and I'm like, so you got to understand, so Xander has like a normal window and then he has like one of those arch windows up top, which he doesn't like because it lets the sun in. And so anyway, but he has this arch window. And so she's saying at the, the kind of at the bottom of the arch, uh, there's two, there's two mice, which kind of, there's a lot of questions about that. Uh, namely, how did they get up there? And anyway, so we got a lot of problems that I'm thinking through on the way there. But, um, so I get there, she shines the light. She's like, look, do you see the silhouette of the mice? And I'm like, I do. And I'm like, but care, those mice are outside, which I'm not saying isn't a problem. It's just not a 1.30 AM problem. And so, and she's like, no, they're inside. And I'm like, here, I can promise you they're outside. And she's like, no, they're inside. So because I am an extreme individual slash, I just really am trying to get a good night's sleep. Uh, Xander has a step stool in his room to get reach stuff in his closet. So I stand on the step stool and I grab the stand to Xander's, uh, uh, the stand to Xander's acoustic guitar. I flip the thing over and I hit the window uh, thankfully I did not break the window, but I hit where the mice would be, thus proving that the mice were on the outside of the window, not the inside. And so they kind of scurry away into the night. And my wife is like, oh, wow. She's like, I am so sorry. And she's like, Bob, I know you have such a hard time falling asleep. And I really appreciate it. And she's saying such nice things about me. And we're having like a really nice moment right? At 1.30 in the morning, when all of a sudden, my 13-year-old daughter busts open her door with a fire extinguisher in her hand, ready to crack skulls. And I, I turn, and she's like, Whoa! and she comes out with a fire extinguisher. And by the way, she has her phone in her hand too, because it turns out she was recording this entire conversation, thing had been going on. And she's like, I heard something. So I came out to investigate but I've been recording this whole thing on the phone even before I came out. And I'm like, first of all, I'm like, what in the world is happening to my family? And, I, and I'm like, okay, so if I can just understand this correctly, um, your plan was to beat these intruders with a fire extinguisher and then use the recording against them when the cops show up? And I'm like, am I on an episode of Law and Order? 
I'm just waiting for like the dunk dunk that, for, for me to like confirm it. And she's like, well, that was my plan. And, and uh, anyway, I'm like, well, you know what? I've taught you well. Okay. So now, but my point being is that the person who goes first, the person who goes where you don't want to go, that's what the captain does. That's what the pioneer does. That's what the author does. And, and, and listen, here, here's the point. This is the thing that the writer of Hebrews is telling us that Jesus is. That he is the one, right, who is the archagos. He's the champion, the captain, the pioneer, the author. He becomes the focal point. And so he's the one who goes first for the benefit of the whole group. He's the one who leads and encourages and rewards. And if you want to keep from drifting, you've got to keep your eyes on the captain, get your orders from the captain, and seek rewards from the captain. And here's why Jesus is worthy of being your captain is because besides like already being God, he suffered on your behalf. I mean, when you think about over the course of your career, when you think about your favorite supervisor or boss or manager or leader or whatever, they, they were never the people who barked orders. They were the people who got involved. And if everybody had to suffer and do something, then they didn't exempt themselves. They were, they were there with you. And that's why in verse 11, it says, it, Jesus calls us brothers, not subordinates or assistants or underlings. We're brothers with the Son of God, that he's a captain worth following. And then in verse 14, just to finish the section, he continues the conversation. He says, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free all of those, or free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. For surely... It is not the angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, and he's able to help those who are being tempted. Last thing, and then we're done, is that I will not drift if I express gratitude. Gratitude has this way of keeping us passionate and focused. Now, a couple things I want to say before I get into this piece uh, in explaining the passage, and that is uh, most of the pagan religions of that day did not really, now there were a few that did, but most of them did not have any kind of belief in an afterlife. For the most part, it was Judaism and Christianity that did. So people lived with a terror of death, believing that this life is all that there is and that there, there's there's nothing after the moment when you take your last breath on planet Earth. And once again, this is uh, this existential problem that atheists and agnostics faith, uh, face um, is not just that death is the end. But here's the point, is that if death is the end, then life doesn't really matter. And here's the important point to, to remember. And if you're going to write something down, this is probably the thing to write down. Life only has meaning if there is an eternity attached to it. Life only has meaning if there's an eternity attached to it. Those, uh, and once again, there are those who believe that they are sophisticated and they don't believe in any kind of um, afterlife, but most of the time, they haven't brought that belief to its logical conclusion. Because if there is no afterlife, then nothing matters. Because eventually you're going to die. 
And eventually everyone you care about is going to die. And eventually the sun is going to burn out and everybody is going to be forgotten. And if that's the case, then nothing matters. Nothing matters. Actions don't count. People don't count. Kindness is irrelevant. It's all a waste because everything is going away. And as you can imagine, this existential philosophy is not very popular because it's completely hopeless. Listen, this is a, that is atheism. And to reject or modify what I just said is simply to say that a person isn't really an atheist. And that's why atheists want to reject God, but what they want to do is bring in purpose and meaning and love that Christianity provides, and, and it doesn't work. Why? Because life only has meaning if there's an eternity attached to it. And we have that. And do you know what that should create in us? Gratitude. Jesus defeated death. The resurrection proved that. You know what that should create in us? Gratitude. He was tempted in the same way that we are tempted. And by the way, I don't have a ton of time to talk about that. We'll talk about that in chapter four because he gets to that again. But listen, he, because he didn't give in to temptation, he's able to aid those in their struggles. And you know what that should create in us? It's gratitude. And here's the good news, is that we all know how to be grateful. And we all know how ugly ingratitude is. And all it takes sometimes is a little change of perspective for gratitude to settle upon us. Uh, in the book of Colossians, in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul said it this way. He said it just like this. There it is. <laughs> it says, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Here's the challenge. It's hard to be grateful for things that we take for granted. It's like when there's a hurricane and everything is closed for a couple of days and, you know, um, or like, you know, quarantine, right? And things were closed and then um, something reopens. Man, I'm telling you, remember the first time you went back to a restaurant? after quarantine, it was like, it didn't matter what it was, like the greatest feast in the world uh, because you were there, right? And I'm, all these people, right, they complain about Starbucks, but when Starbucks reopened after being closed, I mean, they, you know, and they're all like, these are all like, I'm going to boycott Starbucks, right? All that. But I'm telling you, when it reopened, they regained their love for their tripled venti, non-fat, double whip, caramel drizzled, no foam, upside down, macchiato with three Splenda. Um, and, and, and so, and once again, and if we aren't careful, you know what happens? Ingratitude can create a focus on what we don't have. And that is a terrible place to live for you and for everyone around you. You know what an ungrateful spouse does? Here's what an ungrateful spouse thinks. Man, this person is so lucky to be married to me because I could do so much better than them. And yet here I stay. Wow, I'm a great person to be married to this loser. And, 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 and you know, now, let me, and once again, maybe not that extreme, but it's some variation of that. Let me tell you what gratitude looks like. Gratitude is living every day and acting every day. Like you hit the lottery because you got to wake up next to that person. And listen, and I know that some marriages are struggling and, and, and you say, well, you know, what if I want to feel like that, but I don't? What if, man, I want it to be good, but it isn't? 
Well, there's a couple things you can do. The first thing you can do is act like it's true. Start doing things for your spouse as if you had won the lottery when you, when you married them. And you know what will happen if that person is really a believer? They will be so convicted by your kindness. Not because you're trying to manipulate them. They'll be so convicted by your kindness that it will cause them to change. And if, you, and if that doesn't work, then two, go talk to somebody. Go, go talk to a Christian counselor who can speak wisdom into your life and their life. Now, all right, let's talk about parenting. This is a hard one. Uh, but let me tell you, I had a gratitude moment a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we have three bathrooms in our house. And at the end of the night, however this works, myself and my three kids, even though we have three bathrooms in our house, all five of us are all brushing our teeth at the same time in the same bathroom. I don't understand how this works, but that's how it is. And, and uh, we're, there's like four people trying to figure out how to brush and floss um, all in, in one bathroom. And, and, and I'd say, you know, I used to say this, and I'm like, you know, we, we bought a house. This house, if you guys aren't aware, have two other bathrooms that are both vacant. And, and I used to get annoyed because I would have to stand in line to use my sink. And, and, and my wife, we were just talking, and, and she, she said to me, she said, you know, Bob, someday these kids are going to be gone, and there won't be any line anymore. And I don't even know what those words did to me. Um, but it, it, it just instantly changed my perspective. And, um, and I apologized to my kids. I'm like, guys, I'm sorry. I was a jerk. And uh, you come use my bathroom whenever you want. And, uh, and, and you know what happened? Once again, perspective change. And you know what takes place? Now gratitude comes rushing in. Now brushing teeth in our house is this crazy, fun part of our night. Um, it's, it's like a rave at our house, except it's like toothpaste and dental floss. But it, it's super fun. And, and once again, and... And I, I get it. I, I understand that sometimes it's hard to be grateful when things are difficult. But if you've lived long enough, then you know what difficult times do in your life once you get through them. You know it because you've experienced it and that you'd never want to go through it again. But you wouldn't, and you wouldn't wish it on anybody else, but you also wouldn't trade it for anything, strangely, because it produced something in you that couldn't be reproduced anywhere else. And when you look at it like that, then even the difficulties that come into our lives, we're strangely grateful for. Because you see the, God, the person that God is producing, a person who's changing and transforming. And because you have now the choice about how you're going to live your life. Listen, grateful people are happy people. Self-centered people, complaining people, are miserable and small. And listen, and you and I have the privilege of living a life that is full of meaning and purpose and joy. Because we just kept focus. We kept focus and we didn't drift from our captain, from our brother, from our king. And he never forgot us. He never forsook us. Instead, he went before us. Let's pray together. And Lord, we want to thank you. Thanks for that incredible promise that you are our captor, our captain, our brother, and our king.
pray that we would never drift, never lose focus, but draw even closer to you because of how much you love us. We pray it in Jesus' name and everybody said, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If today you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's one of the best decisions you've ever made. And we as a church want to help you with your next steps. You see, we have a free gift we'd like to give you. And in order for you to receive that gift, all you have to do is visit mycalvary.com forward slash begin. Don't forget to tune in next week for our next podcast. God bless you.